Awesome. Awesome. We are welcoming you live to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. And I'm your host, Andrew Lassis with Tech for Accountants IT, specializing in the accounting industry. And with us today, Jesse Rubenfeld, a CPA and Python engineer who, after working as CFO at LimeWire and controller at DE Shaw Research, founded FinOptimal to bring his unique blend of accounting and engineering skills to accountants and businesses using QuickBooks. And we were talking a bit uh, pre-show about sort of the experience and the journey that Jesse's been on. And fun fact, I learned that he is not actually like a um, a 35-year-old uh, millennial little child. That, that, was, that was rude. I didn't mean it in that way. It I mean, he looks, looks great for his age. That's what we're, we're trying to get at. So CFO, CFO at LimeWire. And I was like, that's a very, that's a, that's a blast from the past. But how are you doing, Jesse? All right. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Yeah. So why don't you give everybody a little background on you and like what got you up to like where you're at today? Sure. I'd love to, you know, Right out of school, I was interested in business, didn't really, I knew I wanted to start a company eventually, didn't know what to do. I started working for the founder, or at least at the time, owner of LimeWire. And uh, I saw the businesses that he worked on and thought to myself, I, I want to learn how to run a business like that guy. He needs an accountant, so I'm going to be an accountant. And it was a place with a lot of developers. I always enjoyed as a kid writing code here and there, but never did it professionally. And over time, I started picking up tips from other software developers in the company to help me automate my own workflows. This was 2003, 2004. It was, I would say, closer to the dawn of accounting automation than we are today. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunities to streamline things. That opportunity has only grown over time. But I learned how to use code, first spreadsheets, and then eventually Perl and Python to automate accounting workflows, saving myself time, allowing myself to do things like review and approval instead of creating VLOOKUPs and some ifs. So I felt that I was able to elevate my role, and I continued to do that at DHL Research uh, as the controller there. And after a while, I decided, hey, I really think I've done something special here for my own role. Maybe I can help other accountants elevate their role. And that's how FinOptimal was born. So sort of the foundational aspect of it, it was this has helped you in your role so much that there's probably an opportunity for others because you know that the problem that you're solving is a real problem. So this isn't some high in the sky, like, you know, everybody on earth is going to love this thing. We just need to let them know that they're missing out on it. Yours is, is more of the, you know how you hate this aspect of what you do every single day. I used to hate it too. Here is what I did. So I love that aspect of you really created it out of your own necessity because it was annoying for you. And on our side, I was sharing one of we have, we have a great employee. He's the perfect person. He's super smart and super lazy. And it's the perfect IT person because he will spend 10 hours to automate a five-minute task. But that five minutes happens to every single person every single day in the company, and now it's zero. So 
producing these assets to make things more efficient, it's such a gigantic benefit and it, it transcends a whole lot of different places. So you had mentioned though, that instead of doing sort of that grunt work day to day, you were really putting more time into higher value tasks. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I think that as a general rule, historically accountants have had to be process takers. That is to say, they're told, here's the software, here's how you use it. You know, we'll see you in a few years after you master it and do a lot of grunt work. And our tech is built by accountants for accountants, which is rare, right? Devs and accountants, developers and accountants typically don't talk. And we're trying to create that feedback loop internally so that we become the process makers instead of the process takers. No, no, no. This is how we should do it not how it has to be because of these software limitations. We are breaking through the software limitations with our own software. And so your attention at first would have been for growing your own firm. So what's, has it been just you've, you were able to grow your firm and saw the opportunity that others could replicate the process? Are you doing both? What is, what has that looked like over the transition period? Great question. We built FinOptimal as a service business. People paid us a monthly fee, as they continue to do, to do their books. And you talked about you know, writing something that saves one person five minutes, multiply that times every day they do that times every person that does that. You're talking about massive gains. We were able to serve a lot more clients with the same team because of those kind of gains, right? We reached a point where to achieve greater scalability and elevate the profession beyond the accountants and finance professionals working internally and at our clients, we are starting to sell the software that we've built to other accountants and firms as well so that we can get greater scale from that elevation. And like the multiplier effect and just something little, and I've, I've talked about this a lot. I'm a big fan of the automation aspect of things and our vp she's like the most detail-oriented person on earth and basically like my job is to take off every little thing that she does and automate it or find like more efficient ways to do it and it's so funny i'll, I'll notice something i'll be like hey you know this is something that we could automate like give me give me a couple days and we'll we'll look into this and she's like it's not a big deal it's only a couple minutes every single day i'm like five yes. minutes every single day is three entire days of work. So if we can save a five minute task every day, not to mention that there aren't errors, it always gets done properly. You know, there's tons of benefits with automation. And yes, you can't stare at it and do it yourself. And well, I never make mistakes, but like computers are pretty good at not making mistakes too. When it's like a black and white, if this, then that, it's, they're pretty dependable. <laughs> yes, they are. And, and but it's it's funny because we just are at like a running joke where I'll recognize something. I'm like, you know, I see that we do this. We could automate this piece for you. And then she says, oh, well, it's only a couple of minutes here and there. And so it's always like I, I do the like over slack, like hit with newspaper on her head like people do with bad dogs. <laughs> like, no, we can automate this. I promise you. Stop trying to take on stuff. And it frees up her time from doing dumb stuff to do stuff that actually is beneficial 
And I think a lot of times people sort of miss the the forest for the trees with stuff like that. It's only a couple minutes, but I think you're absolutely right, Andrew. I call that capital time, right? It might cost you three hours of time to save that five minutes, but it won't take that that long for the five minutes saved each day to accumulate and more than pay back the three minutes of capital time that you invested. It yeah. might sound a little unconventional for me to say this, but you have to also make sure you don't automate everything, right? For example, for a small and medium business, the kinds that we're serving, we wouldn't want to automate payment, cash outflows, right? Except for a very rare circumstance, we want to queue up all the payments, but not actually fire them out. We want a person on their team, on our client's team, to review that and make sure it makes sense because while it's rare mistakes can happen so there's a balance that comes down to people process and technology and we're trying to create software and services at the intersection of those three that optimizes our clients and customers financial operation so what are some of someone's coming in and looking to work with you what are some of the struggles that they're usually dealing with there's a few. I think you touched on some of them. You, you, you talked about how automation is going to be less error prone. Certainly that it's going to save them time. Time is money. So time and error reduction are very big drivers. Then there's also visibility, right? When the process that you currently use requires you to make compromises on the depth of your data, because you can only create so many journal entries manually, for example, you wind up not putting things into QuickBooks that might help you see, for example, project level profitability or exactly what your revenue recognition is every month for a software product that you take payment for 12 months upfront for, if that makes sense. So, so visibility, which is about, hey, what dials in my business can I twist? What levers can I pull to move the needle on the top line and on, and on our margins? We try to give our clients and customers greater visibility by improving their systems together with them. And when people are looking into getting things like this streamlined, automated, what are some of the, the obstacles that people will have up front? I assume the, like we hit up front with the, well, it's only a couple minutes here and there, but what are some of the other objections that people will have for working with and a practice automation? You know, I think there's certainly, change is always difficult for anyone, right? The way, you, even if you know you need to change, sometimes it's a difficult pill to swallow. There's uncertainty about what the new process will look like. And very frequently, you don't even know what you need until someone else shows it to you. So early on, when we start working with our clients, you know, we'll do a comprehensive consultation before we even give you a proposal, we want to make sure we, we want to better understand what your symptoms are, so to speak, and then get confident and give you confidence that we can help. But a lot of it is about, hey, you're entering the data here. Could we potentially enter it differently and in this different place? Or could we not enter it at all and pull it automatically? Well, but I'm really used to going on to the bank site every day and dot, 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 dot. So I think as somebody who's responsible for maintaining the processes such as they are, they have to make changes and that's always difficult. So and we recognize that and we want to sort of try to message it very carefully, paint the best picture that we can of what the end state looks like. 
So then when we work backwards to, all right, in order to give you that visibility at the client level, so you can see client level profitability, we need you to start dot, 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 use Expensify in this way, or use bill.com in this way, or we need to integrate with your payroll platform differently. These can all be fairly dramatic changes, not just to our client's finance professional, like the controller or the director of finance, but also to the company, right? Now everyone's got to use Expensify instead of sending an Excel file to the director of finance, right? It's going to make a huge difference and improve life for them. But all right, now I've got to learn how to use Expensify. I have nothing to do with accounting. I used to send an Excel sheet. Now I have to go to use Expensify. You know, all right, yeah, we help clients get on board with those changes and appreciate the value that's going to drive for the organization. And it's funny, though, when you mentioned the people don't know what they don't know. A few years back, we had hired uh, someone internally to do our books. And she, one of those, like her, her resume, she was the perfect person. She had like, 10 years controller at the place that she was previously at. They went out of business. She's a lifer with every company she works for this, that, and the other. And so day one, you know, I pull up, okay, here's QBO and here's the bank feed. And she was like, Oh, did you, did you already put the transactions in ahead of time? Like, I know how to put them in. And I was like, no, it just happens by itself. She's like, <laughs> what? It's like, yeah, this, this software costs like 10 bucks a month. Like you didn't know it. She's like, the last 10 years, that was my entire job was taking bank feeds and typing them in. And then the other accountant did all of the stuff that I then find out I hired her to do. It was a terrible fit, but I was coming into it. I just thought everybody knew that that existed because I didn't know anything and knew it existed. But she was in the weeds doing it the same way they had always done it for years and years and years. And it's like, there is a way better, easier. I mean, the amount of errors that happen on QuickBooks. Yes, there's, you know, every year there's, there are errors that happen with the bank feed, but if you're doing bank recs, they're not too difficult to find. And it's still way less work to find the one off thing than it is to be manually inputting them under the assumption that you manually are better than their 99.9999% accuracy with the bank integrating. And not all platforms are like that, though. We've used some other ones that uh, weren't QuickBooks, but we, you know, zero in QuickBooks are the, the big ones and don't see too many issues with that. But so one of the things you know, in that uh, QBO world though. So lots and lots of apps have their QuickBooks integration, right? If you make an app in the accounting space, it better integrate with QBO. I mean, that's pretty much, if you're going to be in the United States and have an app and expect US accountants to use your product, it's going to have to have some sort of QuickBooks integration. But I know one of the things that you uh, have have some thoughts on would be the apps that tout will say QuickBooks integration. We'll do that in in air quotes. Do you want to elaborate on that? Sure. I I just want to call back to something that you said a minute ago about you know that you shed some light 
for someone on a feature they didn't know existed and there's sort of an aha moment right i think one of our challenges not just ours but our competitors and other software vendors is that we have the curse of knowledge right it's so obvious to us that there's a better way that we sort of take for granted that our clients and prospective customers can recognize that and figuring out how to communicate those in a way that gives them the aha moment in, in, in the right size package to me is a key to not just selling our products and services, but also giving the prospective customers value by teaching them something in that sales process, right? Because no matter what, if they do that 90 minute consultation with us, they're learning something about how we would propose to do things differently. And that gives them food for thought. But back to QuickBooks, yes, QuickBooks API rocks. We love it. We consider ourselves the world's expert. And yes, a lot of third-party products tout a QuickBooks integration, which I, I agree with you, they have to, right? You're not going to have a lot of penetration among US accountants if you don't support QuickBooks Online. Having said that, let's take a payroll platform, for example. I won't name any names, but a lot of times the QuickBooks integration is minimally viable, right? It books certain payroll entries to QuickBooks, but it doesn't give an accountant, the level of detail required to do things that a lot of small and medium businesses want to do. So very frequently, we find ourselves rebooking payroll using, let's say, downloaded files from the payroll platform, which is to say we basically turn off the payroll platform's QuickBooks integration or the time trackers QuickBooks integration or the e-commerce products QuickBooks integration, because we know that it misses key nuances that let's say an auditor, a lot of our clients have to do an audit, wanna see. If you want real accrual accounting, you have to address these nuances and we address those nuances. We're the power user, QuickBooks' API. And for any of the less technical people, we, we come in with the, it's so obvious, everybody should know this. Like we, we had onboarded a new client and she was like, and so, you know, we have to come in and put all the new security and set things up on the computer. And just one of the things that I just assumed, but it was not assumed to her. I mean, the deal had closed. We'd gotten payment, scheduling everything. Okay, you're onboarding with the technician. It's going to be tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. And she was like, okay, great. Do you know if he's going to be taking public transportation or is he going to be going private or Uber? Just just so I know, you know, with so I can tell him like if he needs to call me on the way over. I was like, no, this is done remotely. Like just clicks a button and gets on your computer. She's like, what? And I was like, how did how did that part not get addressed? That like that's what we did. I mean, she thought someone was coming to her house to to do all of this stuff. And it's like, I we just assumed that she assumed. That so you know the, the it's interesting some of the and like you know what happens when you assume yep you still get the deal no matter what that's right <laughs> but yeah so so you know on the tech side we come in with the assumption that people understand it the way that we assume it so back to the assumption high level what's an API and how does that work for those that aren't aware so so API stands for application dash programmer interface. Most people that use QuickBooks Online use the 
web interface or the web user interface, the web UI. They log into QuickBooks, they use their mouse to click around, right? They type data into a search box. That is the user interface. When you deploy automation, you want to have an automated process talk to QuickBooks. And for that, you write a program and the program interacts with QuickBooks using the application programmer interface, which is to say we can make automated grabs and automated pushes from and to QuickBooks respectively that save the user having a mouse and a keyboard are great input devices, except if, you know, it's assuming that you're a person and you need to use your eyes and your brain and do them serially, right? Whereas you can have a computer do lots of stuff in quick succession in response to events, even that happen while you're asleep. And to really automate something, you got to use the API. You can't have an, a robot literally on the website clicking stuff for you. Does that make sense? Pretty much. But uh, there are extensions that can do that, right? That like there would are. be, yeah. You there could... are, there's, there's browser automation, right? How do you get those things to account for edge cases? And when, when for example, a bank changes its website, Right. One of the first things I did in my career was write a robot that would go on to the bank of the company that I worked for at the time, pull the balances and any transactions and send me an email if there was something new. And then one day, you know, North Fork Bank changed its website, which broke my robot because I was not using the API to connect. They didn't have an API. Right. They just had a website and I wrote a robot to go on the website like a person would. Whereas you and I can respond to, they've changed their website. Oh, now the blank is over here. Here's where I sign in. If you write us, if you write us what we call a scraper, that's going to fall down when they change their website. Whereas with the API, there's sort of a contract between QuickBooks and third-party developers like us that these endpoints are not going to change unless we notify you of that. <laughs> when you that when sense? you had mentioned when you had mentioned on edge cases. So we're we're currently testing and deploying a new-ish, sort of like a rebrand of something we were doing, but we'll take super complex FTC safeguards rule, boiling it down to what process can we automate as far as securing our clients, right? And so we're in the the beta testing period, and you know, the we get someone signs up and you know, we're following it piece by piece to make sure that everything went the way that it was supposed to. And it was like, wait, why didn't this go? And it was like, oh, okay. They signed up with, okay, I see this. This is an edge case. So first purchase yes. is an edge yes. case where yeah. it was like, okay, they signed up with the same email address, but they signed up with a different phone number. Therefore, it didn't recognize them as existing for the part that looks at your phone number because it assumes you would use the same phone number and same email address. But I mean, the likelihood of that is so, I mean, that never happens with any of the other stuff we have. Third purchase happens Third. again, different email yeah. and the same email, different phone number. And it's like, you know, two out of three for edge case is probably going to happen more than... We're probably you know, not I think that's, hitting on a bad, bad luck. That's here. a that's a really informative example. You know, a lot of times people will uh, will look for low code tools. Again, I won't name any names, but that allow you to piece together workflows that 
get you interested, which is good. It's better than sort of doing something manually, but they tend to be flimsy, right? The things you're pointing out, which I sort of summarize as unique identifiers, right? When is something really a unique identifier versus when, of it, when is it sort of a secondary unique identifier? Those are examples of nuances that a low-code tool or a no-code tool is going to have much more trouble addressing. Whereas when you really write code, you hit that use case, the first, you hit that exception, you code around it, and then the product is robust to it, right? So we specialize, it's like, I think of the low-code tools as renting golf clubs when you're a beginner. Eventually, if you want to get graded golf, you're going to get fitted for clubs, right? Python is getting fitted for clubs. But on the no-code side, they have a Python integration built in in the last couple of years or so. We're probably thinking of the same, uh, same thing. And that was, and in this exact edge case, yeah, we're going through a no-code and then it was like, huh. And so now we're doing Python for like 90% of like, it's just so it's under one umbrella and it's like, okay, sure. the... The push is like, this is the event and now trigger all of this Python code, because like you said, it makes it so much more robust and easier to catch the things where instead of, well, I have to redo the entire thing and then re like reassemble it top to bottom versus when you've got code, you can just like press enter a couple of times and make a, make a curly bracket and pop it in there or edge case, like if edge case just slip that right in there and good to go. But the, those sounds, are things you learn as you it, go, right? Yeah, it sounds like you guys are doing something very compelling. We think of ourselves as trying to close the loop between the accountant who understands what needs to happen and the coder who builds it. We're trying to uh, break down the communication barriers that historically have gotten in the way between those two groups of people and ideally develop team members that have both capabilities where we really feel the seat of our competitive advantage lies that we are sort of coding accountants for accountants. So do you think that automation, as far as like the low level things, and now, you know, hot topic is chat GPT. And frankly, that's how we got so ingrained into Python because it was like, okay, we'll just have, we'll just have chat GPT write out all this stuff and like understand it at a decent level. Like a lot of us have, have education in programming, but also, I mean, you know, my visual basic class from 2003, it doesn't trans translate super well, but the concepts like the hello world, like still applies regardless. And, and people that are totally. like the coders are like, yeah, yeah. Hello world. And then other people are like, totally. but so how much do you think of just sort of busy work and we'll call it dumb stuff, but things that definitely can be automated? How, how much when you're talking to a firm, do you have sort of a percentage gauge of how much time is being wasted on some of these tasks that could just have an automation? It, it's always contextual, but a rule of thumb is I, I, I say 80%. It's very difficult to measure this with a ton of precision, but Certainly, when we look for good fits, we're looking for clients that we think it's 80% for. And there's, there's plenty of those around invoicing, around payables, around the monthly close, including bank reconciliation. 
there's often a lot of low-hanging fruit. It often it often revolves around interfaces with third-party products, right? Where for whatever reason they're they're not getting the systems to talk to each other the way they want to, given their 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 financial operations objectives. And we're really familiar with how to address those kinds of problems. And that's where, you know, those, those, those kind of clients make the best fit. They come to us with a pain point. We'd really like to be able to dot, dot, dot. It takes us a ton of time right now, and we still make a lot of mistakes. Can you help us? Yes, we've seen that before. We can help you. And that's always, that's one of the things that I love in, with the niching when it comes to a product offering, because, you know, so many of our services and, and products, they can be used in different industries. Like the thing that we're going through now, June 9th, the FTC safeguards rule, tons of cybersecurity has to be done for a ton of different industries, including tax accounts. And so, but we had like a car dealership reach out to us and they were like, can you help us with this? And it's like, yeah, I mean, we can. Like there's, there really isn't much difference between this use case and that use case, except for there will be a bit of a learning curve of what software do you currently have? Our entire stack, we've specifically picked it because it does not have interference with any of the tax software that all of our clients use. So our security stack is based off of basically, we know that the 20 big names when it comes to tax accounting software, at least desktop-based ones, we know that what we're going to do, it's going to work flawlessly with them and there won't be any problems because in the learning as we go, we just don't have these problems anymore because we've seen it so many times in this area. And hopefully this is just a, like, I'm saying these words and it doesn't, it, no one like comes back and says like, remember that episode you did with Jesse where you said you knew this would happen with that, <laughs> with that auto dealership? Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to be very careful not to make any forward looking statements. Yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> You know, when people will say, hey, I'm having this nuanced random issue. ATX says he can't communicate with the server error number, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, OK, uh, you know, uncheck IPv6 and there you go. I mean, the first time we solved that, it took forever to figure it out. But now, you know, we've, we've seen it a million times, so it's easy for us. So I'm not going to put any negativity out there, but hypothetically, when you're dealing with something that you don't see all day, every day, even though the core of it, you know, if they hire anybody that doesn't specialize with auto dealerships, it's going to be the same learning experience for the most part, no matter what. But when you specialize though, and you guys are digging deep with the QBO API, which is super important for accountants and most businesses in general, at least US, you know, being being proficient with the QBO API is going to be gigantic, no matter how you look at things. I mean, for the, I mean, everything can change. Technology is always shifting. And now, even though this is kind of off topic, but I'm curious of your thoughts, where do you see Google ending up in this Google versus Bing slash chat GPT uh, search engine war? That's a great question. You know, I think Microsoft has really done some exciting things. You talked about AI, you know, GitHub's integrations that support AI. Uh, GitHub is a Microsoft company, of course, right? That can generate very, very proficient looking code blocks. These are very compelling tools. I'm sure it's on Google's radar. 
and you know they also are a great great company so there's a little bit of a clash of the titans type of dynamic here I, you know we definitely pay both companies for various products and i'm glad that i'm not one of the titans in that arena but i think all ships will rise in terms of its users whether you use one the other or both and that's the future the future will tell i definitely don't want to call I definitely don't want to put my money on any particular horse today, Andrew. I hope you understand. Yeah. I don't want to be I, on the record as saying one or the other is going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. My dad had a good one. And in, in 1997, he had watched South Park and he said, mark my words, this show will not last more than one season. And it's on like number 25 <laughs> now. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yep. To be fair. Don't want to mark my, don't want my words marked. Yeah. Yeah. Mark my <laughs> my guess because nobody can see the future but i just think it's interesting that i mean you know six months ago you said there is actually a chance that bing becomes number one i would have said there's there is no scenario on earth where that is possible until now where i i think it's a as of today i think right now they have the upper hand but they're also like you said, you know, it's the clash of the Titans. So, I mean, do I think Google's not going to figure it out? You know, is, oh, well, they had a six month head start. So, therefore, Google just never will have the ability to catch up in this. I mean, you know, they weren't first to the search game. They weren't first to the email game. They weren't first to a lot of the things that they're leading in. But it is interesting now because this one's so big and so impactful. And I know it's maybe huge. after this call, I'm going to sign off and log in to, uh, to, to open AI and ask chat GPT four who's going to win. I wonder if four versus 3.5 would give you give a four, different answer. Four is like, yeah. I will conquer. And 3.5 is like, I've still got some work to do, you know? <laughs> well, let's ask chat GPT 3.5 if four is really better. Ooh, it's funny. I was in Chicago uh, this weekend and I was. I was playing with auto GPT and, and I was saying to the, the bartender, I was like, man, I mean, chat GPT is already old news with this auto GPT thing. He's like, what's that? I was like, it's like, oh, this is like chat GPT, chat GPT on steroids. And he's like, what's chat GPT? I was like, what? Oh, wow. And, and I was talking with someone else, like in the tech world, it's like, how, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like all day. And I mean, now that we're like really, we're investing in it because there's just stuff that like we see the benefits of automation. And you had mentioned earlier about increasing your capacity for how much work you can take on per employee. And even if it's a, a low level, like minimum wage kind of thing, if you can automate these tasks, you don't have people that call out. You don't have, you know, so, so many of the issues that happen with people. And you know, I'm not saying you should you should automate like a conversation, right? Or like an actual human connection, which is what a lot of it comes down to really at the end of the day. But some of the the silly stuff, you know, your your clients aren't going to care how the the transactions got into QBO. They're not going to care your process on how it got categorized, whether it was through rules or through an AI or through a, a senior partner or 
from some guy who it's first day, like the client wants the deliverable at the end of the day, they want it to be correct. They want it to be timely. And if there's ways that you can just cut out the manual piece of it, your clients aren't going to be upset that they have a timely product delivered ever. Totally. Well put, super well put, you know, we're, we're that, that is our message to the accountants, um, that we hope are going to adopt the accruer. Fully automates deferred revenue recognition, prepaid expense amortization, fixed asset depreciation in seconds, right? No manually maintaining schedules, no calculating recurring entries. It's fully automated accruals in seconds. And we're offering it not just to bookkeepers and accounting firms, but also to the businesses that are doing it, like their internal hire. And I know this is live streaming, but it'll be available in June to the public. And uh, your listeners can use promo code TECH for the number four for a free trial. Awesome. And what website will they get that from? Thinoptimal.com. Making sure. So accruer. Accruer. Yeah. Accruer. And so what did the development look like on when you guys were, I mean, there had to have been some sort of moment of, I hate doing this. Let's create something. You know, it was was many years ago. We've been using this product internally for our clients for six or seven years at this point. And our user interface was internal facing only. It was fairly primitive. And what we've done now is built a a web interface that we think an accounting firm or somebody that is not getting day-to-day interaction with us can set up for themselves, which is to say, we think this can be packaged as a software, as a service. So the product is, is battle tested, the user interface, is brand new and people will always bring in new um you'll you'll discover really quick the oh well aren't you going to drive to my house yes of course (laughs) of course they'll have people always have a fun way of just absolutely destroying anything that you that you put in place but that's that's the fun of programming right it's someone that someone gives you some sort of stupid crazy i never thought about this like could you imagine that's the most world? fun <laughs> could you imagine that's, mo- it? that's if yeah, everyone just that's... only used your product exactly how it was intended to be used and there were not any weird circumstances i mean you know we we build a lot of stuff that we use internally and i had mentioned i don't remember if it was before or during the show but we do a lot of the same thing we build tools so that we can streamline our process so that we can have more clients and there's more predictability. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that today I was working with a new hire and process that took me on the first iteration, it took me one week to do. I had him trained and everything came out perfectly in 35 minutes. Wow. So the impact of that, and the final product of what we have now, and this is you know the benefits of niching, because if we had only one accountant client, it would have been stupid to have put months of development into making this happen. But the, the final product, like if you look at the one that took me a week to create versus what he did in 35 minutes, and 35 minutes, that was his first try, I think. I think now like someone that's been using it can get it done in seven minutes, I think is the pretty good less than 10, definitely for something that took a week, 
the first time. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, you find out, okay, this can be automated. This can be automated. This can be automated. And then we went from selling one a month to like, I think the end of December, we sold like 700 in like a week. So it was like, we need to be able to do this a little faster than, wow. yeah, but still be able to produce like high quality. So, I mean, then there's, I'm, I'm curious, like, cause this will be in, in your realm as well. You know, when you were mentioning earlier and we didn't really dig into it, but you know, the things that can be automated or should be automated. Do you sort of have a gauge on to where you draw the lines? You had mentioned like payables, which, okay, have somebody double check, make sure that this is correct. But versus like on our side, like a zip code lookup for which IRS office is close to your uh, location based on zip code, you know, we don't need like a second set of eyes you know, the first couple of times through, make sure that it gives you the right, the right location. But I mean, there's only like 35 different. So it's not a mission critical, even if it were to make a mistake, it's not a mission critical that completely destroys somebody's business the way yeah. that like a wrong payable would like, whoops, we wired out a million dollars. Sorry. You know, automation. We added a zero. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, what was it? Uh, office space. Yeah, we added a zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the benefits of being an accountant and a developer in this line of business, right? I think I'm in a good position to anticipate objections from accountants on the basis of that is not a good financial control. So I have a good sense of those controls. Part of the CPA exam, a big part of the CPA exam is talking about those controls. And, you know, there's, there's, there is an element of, I know it when I see it, but also there are some common ones. Separation of preparation and execution is the example of payables. We prepare the bills that you want to go and pay. You go in and click pay, right? That's a separation of prep. It'd be, it, it's much harder to perpetrate fraud when that happens. It also is much harder for a mistake, even done by automation, to get realized. It's one thing to book the wrong entry. You can go back and change the entry. It's another thing to actually wire the money. So we never wire the money for our clients. We set up the payment and we say, hey, listen, look at those carefully. Don't just press send because we you know, don't just click pay. You're responsible for who you pay. Automation can fail. It's not common, but it happens. But the, the responsibility of paying the right person the right amount rests with you. And we think it's important that that responsibility divides up. Yeah, we saw a, um, before we were specializing with uh, title companies, or before we were specializing with accountants, we were talking with a title company and they had gotten uh, hacked and basically they set up a rule in Outlook that when you send uh, wire instructions, you know, it's like when email subject equals wire instructions, don't send that email. Instead, send this email called wire instructions on their letterhead from the person. Everything is exactly the same except for the bank details. And they remove the part that says call us to make sure that this is the correct bank information. So, I mean, can you imagine just on the, the recipient side of you receive wire instructions at the time you expect, you know, it's not like, oh. That's yeah. weird. My title company just out of the blue sent me wire instructions. It's like, well, I'm buying a house. 
So wire instruction seems very appropriate right now from the company that I'm working with. And man, like when I saw that, that's so paranoid forever on like on uh, wire instructions from banks. Yeah, that's and an ordeal. Like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so whoops, you sent $400,000 to the wrong bank. So crazy. Yeah. Well, you should have looked into it. And it's like, yeah, but you got hacked. And yeah. I was, <laughs> you know, we're, we were brought into it after it had happened. So luckily it wasn't, well, I mean, not luckily, but on our side as like a liability account side, it was like, I'm glad this didn't happen under our watch, but that's why like forwarding rules and stuff happens in the, in the admin side. So Jesse, I want to be respectful of your time. We keep going down these, these rabbit holes. I love these conversations when it, when get into the weeds on like coding and API and integrations. And I've still got like a million other things that are like running through my head. And it's like, what makes you choose Python? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Is it, where can people really, find more? It's really been a pleasure uh, to talk to you, Andrew. I hope we'll have another chance to do it. Yeah, people can follow me on LinkedIn. Jesse Rubenfeld is my name. There is one other Jesse Rubenfeld. He's a great artist, um, but my company is called Finoptimal, so you can tell if it's me based on whether or not it says founder and CEO Finoptimal. And our website has a lot of good information too, uh, www.finoptimal.com. You can set up a free consultation. We'll learn more about your business and figure out what together with you, if, if we can help you, you'll learn something on the call regardless. And finoptimal.com is also where you can discover the accruer, again, starting in June with that Tech4 promo code for a free trial. And um, we're really excited about it. And it was really a pleasure to come on your show and talk about it today. Thank you. Yeah, Jesse, it was, it was awesome having you on the show, getting into the, the tech, tech, tech stuff. And oh, yeah. people, they're just like, can, can you just make the, the feed live? What's this about QBO? Can, <laughs> totally, can, man. Can we went deep pop, today, Andrew. Yeah, pop in, my, uh, pop in the, the bank feed automatically. Yeah. Her, her employment didn't work out when she accidentally wrote a $15,000 check oh to boy. the wrong spot. Yeah. So, well, now you have the curse of knowledge. You'll never be the same, Andrew. Um, but uh, <laughs> hopefully better. Yeah. Yeah. So, lesson learned. Um, if you have someone that's a controller, make sure they know how to control things. It's, Amen. <laughs> Jesse, it's great having you on the show. And, guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to, to subscribe, like the episode. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or YouTube. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like. Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's great. So much. Take care.